0: Thanks for taking the time to listen to these recordings of our Sunday morning sermons. The Door Church is one church in two locations on mission to see lives restored with the gospel for God's glory, and we'd love to have you join us. For more information about our gatherings in Louisville and Argyle, visit us at thedoorchurch.net. Now, let's worship God by opening His Word. Good morning, church. Our scripture reading for this morning is going to be Acts chapter 4, verses 32 to 33. And there should be Bibles in the seat in front of you. Um, It will be page 858. I just wanted to introduce myself. My name's Mitch Craig. I'm the student minister here in Argyle. And my wife, Brittany, who's sitting over here, and I, we moved to Texas about three weeks ago. So we're new to the state. We came from Michigan. We got a lot of change going on. We're here. I'm the new student minister. Um, we're expecting our first baby here in a couple of weeks, baby Bo. So we're really excited about what the Lord is doing in our life, but also what the Lord is doing here at T V C. And I personally, I, I said this in the first service, so I don't want to seem repetitive, but man, I am just incredibly humbled and grateful and feel so privileged to be able to serve in this capacity because I'm just a foolish, broken sinner, and I've only been saved and redeemed because of the finished work of Christ, and I am so grateful for that. So I'm just thankful for the opportunity to be used by God and to just work in the lives of your students and to just be able to come alongside them and, and just love them and disciple them well and send them out to be missionaries for God's kingdom so that they can be windows of his grace and mercy. And again, we'll be in Acts chapter 4, verses 32 to 33, and you can read along on page 858. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. This is the word of God.
1: Thank you, Mitch. Uh, My name is Brad, as I mentioned to some of you. I think some of y'all weren't here yet, but I'm the campus pastor here, and I'm honored to be with you, and this morning we are stopping off into the book of Acts just for a moment, for a week. Uh, we finished the summer in Psalms, which is always healing and therapeutic, and uh, for just one week we're going to be in Acts for um, just, just considering what it looks like to be one heart and soul, uh, considering what God has called us into as a church, and I, I want to get um, into the text, but then also get practical for the Door Church. What does this look like? So... Uh, we'll look at God's story, and eventually we'll we'll kind of get down to our story of uh, what that might look like for us. So, um, you know, we we have four dogs, and it's kind of redneck the way we do this. But we we let them out, and we live on a little bit of land, and so they run out to the neighbor's property, and I don't know they they chase rabbits, and they chase they bark at the cows, and eventually their their thing they they bring back shoes. Uh, and I find who they belong to and apologize to the person and bring them back and do the walk of shame, and we've really got to fix that. But one of the things that they do is they, they when they leave and they come back, they come back full of these burrs. Like we, one of them is white, and he, he, he came back yesterday, and he was like speckled, just burrs everywhere. And um, it's, it's really annoying, but it also, it's, it's astonishing. The, the other day as I was cleaning them off, which Lindsay usually does, but I was doing it, and... Um, in addition to being annoyed, I was astonished at God's design that, that God would create anim, or, yeah animals that carry the seeds that perpetuate the growth of the plants. So the burrs, though annoying and funny and whatever, they get everywhere in the house. It's interesting that God multiplies plants through this way. These the seeds are carried on the wind, they're carried by plants, or, or they're carried by animals. And so they, they, these seeds multiply and they move. And This is really, as we consider the early church, that's what the book of Acts is, that's how the gospel was was spreading. Is that there were gospel seeds being sown and Jesus was crucified and and that wasn't it. So if Jesus was, was, was crucified and then his followers did not witness the resurrected Christ, there would be no early church. We would not be here this morning. There would be no boldness. When you follow your guru who says he's going to rise from the dead, who says he's the son of God, and then your guru dies, and that's the end of the story, well, you just walk off in shame. But what happened is Jesus rose, and so this group of people are bold to share the gospel, to go out and minister and and to take great risks, actually, of their lives. And so what what happens is there's, there's persecution there. So you might think, well, the the church in America is persecuted. That's a joke. There's persecution there. They're they're being arrested. They're being tried. Eventually, they're, they're going to be killed. But what happens is persecution does not extinguish the growth of the gospel. It accelerates it. So when God allows his people to be pressured by governments or by warring tribes or whatever it may be. When the people of God are pressured, they go. They, they flee and they, they establish new little pockets of Christianity. So as a, as a, a uh, historian, if you were to look at the spread of the early church, you'd be like, how is this happening? What's happening because those sticky seeds of grace are getting stuck on people who are being new in Christ and they're going to these random little towns of refuge Christ is proclaimed there, churches are planted there, the gospel multiplies there, and so on it goes. And so in verse 32 and 33, it's really a zoom out. We're looking down on the early church, back of like, what, what, was, what was happening here? Just before our, our text this morning, um, some of the believers are being tried, and uh, they're, they're being... Uh, confined, and they pray not for deliverance from their circumstances. They're not like, God, make it easier, this is annoying, or God, help me, I'm scared. They pray for boldness to continue to proclaim. They're like, allow us to keep preaching the gospel, allow us to keep spreading these seeds. God answers the prayer, and the Holy Spirit continues to fuel them and inspire them, and so they get to keep on proclaiming the risen Christ. So as we look at this text, I really want to look at, at three things, and, and that is that we see a, a, a group of people that are united, one heart and soul in Christ. And then you see those people who are united heart and soul in Christ, and they, they, they form a, a beautiful community in Christ. And then that community does not stay an entity unto itself, but it's an entity to go, and so they, they, they become involved in the mission Of Christ. And so, in that, I also want to explain what that might look like practically for the door church and challenge you. What does it look like for you? So, one heart and soul, that's what verse 32 says. One heart and soul. What does that mean? Well, here is a group of people who are united at the highest level. And so, this is not an organization, it is an organism. You see the difference. An organization would be some people who are sovereign individuals coming together saying, yeah, we'll do that. Or yeah, we agree with that. But an organism is an entity unto itself. It is a being. And so this early church, one heart and soul, they they know they're the body of Christ. And so in in 1 Corinthians 12, it, it, it says this. Paul is explaining that this is a reality. You should know this. If you're a Christ follower, whether this is your church or not, you are a part of the body of Christ. You are a member. Paul says to the the church in Corinth, which is just another body like us a long time ago, he says, for just as the body is one and has many members and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. So Christ is one body. We are the member of his body members of his body. And then verse 27 says, now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it, which means you have a vital role to play, which means you're a part of the movement of God, which means that you're a part of something much bigger than yourself if you are in Christ. And so in um, a different part of the Bible, Paul, who's a church planner around this time, he, he explains this concept in the book of Ephesians 2, Uh, or in chapter two, of, of one new man. That there's this one new man formed. So sin separates us from God and creates enmity between us. And so Jesus has broken down the dividing wall of hostility between us and God. He has borne the wrath of God. He has taken the curse of God. He has suffered for the division and the fracture between us and God, that sin separates us, and Jesus steps into that gap, puts on flesh, and bears the full penalty, thereby reconciling us to God, so we can come before God, if we are in Christ, fully covered with the righteousness of Christ. We are are bought entry into fellowship with God, and so we're reconciled to Him, but not only that, as new creations, we are reconciled to a body to be one new man, to be many new members in Christ, one heart and soul, reconciled to one another. So we're not sovereign individuals. We're not little, you know, just random people running around, but we're a part of this unified body, one heart and soul. At this time, there were no cultural Christians. It did not, that, that, it wasn't a thing. Um, it wasn't, wasn't cool or safe to be a Christ follower, and so you were jailed, beaten, possibly killed. Many of them killed. Um, some of them were burned as candles at parties. They were persecuted, and so it wasn't, it wasn't easy. And I, I just, honestly, I have a burden for our casual Christianity. I have a burden that, that for many of us, Jesus is not our, our reason for living, but is simply another aspect of our life. That he's, he's like an activity, not our identity. And so I, I worry about that. I'm, I'm burdened for that. When you consider a text in the Bible, this is how wrong scriptural exegesis can happen. When you, when you just parachute into a verse and you go, it says that, so I should do that. So there's two questions you, you should, should ask. Is this descriptive or is it prescriptive? So is it descriptive? Is it describing something that happened historically that, that we should learn from? And certainly there's application to every part of Scripture, but is it, is it mostly descriptive, like like Samson killing a bunch of people with a jawbone of a donkey? Is describing something happening. Or is it prescriptive? Is it a command? Is it something specifically with with bearing on the way that we should live our lives? Well, for our text, we should ask this question. Is it descriptive, describing the early church? Or is it prescriptive, God telling us through this text, you should live like this? And what I would say is, yes. It is both descriptive and prescriptive that the early church is an exemplary model of what it looks like to live in fellowship with Christ and therefore with one another. And so what I would say is that we should be one heart and soul. We should strive for this. We should say this is who we are as a church. And so there, there are things that divide us things that cause us to to, to grow apart. I don't know if any of you have friends that you've grown apart from. I do. But somebody could be your running buddy when you're a kid, like best friends. You're like, we're gonna be friends forever, but you're not, and you don't even talk to them anymore. Most of us have that, that, that experience. Something happens, time, space, conflict, something divides you, and over time, things fracture especially over time. And so as, as we look at this church, we, we need to think long-term. As we think about our lives, we need to think long-term. Not that future is, is promised to us, but what are our marks of division in this church that could divide us over time? And so the first thing that, that I would just point out is just, if we have the expectation of uniformity, we will be divided. So if you think everyone should look like you and think like you and vote like you, you're wrong and you will be divisive because the people of God are many. They think different, they look different, they have different color skin and different ideas. They look very different. So if you think everyone should be like you or be a bunch of Ned Flanderses, that's not what God calls us to. So there is the, the sense of, of uniformity. One of the things that's beautiful about marriage, if you see people that have been married a long time, it's really sweet. They, they begin to almost look alike, which is also a little bit creepy, but they, they do. You're like, man, y'all kind of look the same. There's a study done in, in 1987 by the University of Michigan. They studied why this happened. And their, their conclusion, kind of their hypothesis slash conclusion, was that people who are married for a long time have shared facial expressions from shared experience. Isn't that interesting? That kind of makes sense to me. Your sorrows you go through together, your victories you go through together. And so you're weeping together and laughing together and eventually you begin to kind of look alike. And as a church, there is a sense which, which we are growing into uniformity. And so in, in, in a spiritual sense. So 2 Corinthians 3.18 says that, that we all beholding the glory of the Lord, That's how we change, just so you know. You don't change by going, I'm going to be a different person. But you change by beholding Christ, are being transformed into the same image, into the same likeness. That is Christ. From one degree of glory to another. This is incremental, not automatic. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. So we are being spiritually changed into the same image, which is Christ, but we're not a bunch of clones. And if you come to this body expecting people to think and be like you, you are setting yourself up for division and for strife. Another thing that divides us is just our busyness. Some of us just schedule ourselves to death. We have no time for our brothers and sisters in Christ. We have no time for stillness. We have no time... We, we say I don't have time to read God's Word, or I don't have time for that phone call. I don't have time. I know that some of us are in a, a busy season of life. I am with with kids, and have stuff going on, and but what I would say is there's a long term trajectory of valuing what is most important. So our busyness can really cause us to, to think we're, we're too busy for our brothers and sisters in Christ. It can divide us just through through schedule, but. Those are important, but they're really not as important as this. If we have competing loves, we will be competing people. If we have competing loves, we will be competing people. So we have an election coming up. And I wish we didn't. And I wish that we could fast forward past it honestly, selfishly. So what's going to happen if this is your church family and you're a Christ follower, what you're going to find is you're going to be worshiping God next to people whose political ideas you find bizarre and even repulsive. And so my question to you is, what happens if your politics become a point of strife between you and another member of the body of Christ? a point of not, not, not conversation or even argumentation, but of irreconcilable conflict. In that case, you have elevated your politics above Christ. In that case, you are unified not by Jesus, not one heart and soul, but in your political inclinations. And so beware of that. See, if our ecosystem is filled with the love of Christ... And I don't mean that in some like ethereal feel-good, like, oh, just love. Like, like if you are responding in your life, if you are driven by the love of Jesus, you will not have competing loves, but you will be knit together with this body. And if we have nothing else in common, some of you I have nothing in common with, but if we have Christ in common, we have everything in common. A.W. Tozer once said this, just listen to this metaphor, it's beautiful. Has it ever occurred to you that 100 pianos, all tuned to the same fork, are automatically tuned to each other? They are of one accord by being tuned not to each other, but to another standard to which each one must individually bow. So 100 worshipers meet together, each one looking away to Christ, are in heart nearer to each other than they possibly could have been were they to become unity conscious and turn their eyes away from God to strive for closer fellowship. Some of you, I have had the fortune of, of being the officiant at your wedding, and, um, but I always say this to someone I'm counseling or someone I'm marrying is, if you look at each other, you will see a sinner. And you will see a broken, jacked up person like Mitch, you shared, like, man, I'm I'm a mess, that's the truth. But if you turn your shoulders and shoulder to shoulder, you tune your hearts to Jesus, you will see beauty. And you will be transformed to be more like him and therefore your marriage, your relationship will actually have something to it. And so in conflict, you turn your shoulders to Christ. In good times, you turn your shoulders to Christ. And so that's a marriage, that's also a church. And that's what it is to be one heart and soul is to turn our shoulders together, to see Jesus together, to behold him for all he is. So if we are one heart and soul, we are, we are purchased into a community. We will be a heavenly community, a city on a hill, a beautifully strange heavenly community here on earth. And so people in this town, your neighbors, your colleagues, people you go to school with, whatever, they, they should be astonished at the community that you're a part of at the depth of relationship, at the generosity, at the kindness, at the patience, at the long-sufferingness of your church family. They should be astonished by that because Jesus teaches us and transforms us into a one heart and soul community which reflects his character as his body, which is to say to be kind to be generous and to be joyful. We should be the most joyful people of all. And so we, we care for one another in this one heart and soul community. We care for one another's material needs. So if you look at our verse and you see that they had one heart and soul and that they had everything in common, if you are uh, conservative in your political inclinations, you might go, man, I think they were communists. <laughs> they weren't communists because communists say what's yours is mine give me that it's a compulsion give me your stuff a christian is the opposite a christian says what's mine is yours here have it You see, when you are in Christ and you have the treasury of heaven, when you have the hope, which is bigger than all hopes, your material stuff becomes rather immaterial to you. So God's generosity toward us should lead us to radical generosity to the household of God and to those outside. We should be a radically generous people, lavishly generous. Are you? And so we, we should care for one another materially, but in addition, we should care for one another in a spiritual way, to be one heart and soul. It's not just to talk about the weather all the time or talk about the game or whatever, but it's to be in tuned to one another's souls. Like, how are you doing actually? And so if we see a brother and sister, or brother or sister, um, and they're they're they're, they're sick, They're hurting. Do we not care enough to ask an honest and uncomfortable question? Do we not care enough to engage in that moment, to be spiritually attuned to somebody else instead of being like, man, I kind of got a lot going on right now. I don't really have time for your drama. But are we spiritually attuned to one another? What this looks like, we show up for one another. I don't know what you think of of social media or what your habits are, but just so you know, it's not community. And I have no idea what's going on in your life, who you really are, what you're afraid of, where your idols are by looking at your Instagram profile. I have no idea because it's curated and it's filtered. And so community must be embodied. I must look across the table from you and see that look on your face when you tell me about how your kids are doing that tells me you're not, you're not quite saying everything. How are you really? What's really going on there? We must be proximate to one another. You see, our God is, is, is a God of incarnation, of putting on flesh, of walking amongst us. He didn't say, okay, y'all are separated from God. Well, you're, you're good, He came into this space. He came in to walk amongst us and to suffer in our place and also alongside us. So we should be incarnate people. We should ask those questions. Some of the wisest people I know, they're not expressing their wisdom through sermons or through dissertations, but through questions. Asking a good question. If you're spiritually attuned to your church family, ask them a question. And listen, but furthermore, and I can't, I can't really explain this. I've only felt this, but it's true. Pray. What I find is when I pray for you, those of you that I know by name, those of you that I'm praying for, which I see your faces, I, the Lord helps me be more aware of you, more spiritually mindful of you, in a, in a beautifully prophetic and yet mysterious sense of like, as I pray for you, I'm more aware of what's going on with you. So do you pray for your church family by name? To be spiritually attuned is to come before God and ask for, for that wisdom of like, what, what does he need? What does she need? So pray for one another. And we are to consider one another more significant than ourselves. And I just want to just, it, just be honest. That's impossible in our flesh. For me to say you're more important than me is completely impossible. I must have the Spirit of God. I must have the mind of Christ. And so Philippians 2 says this. It should be on the screen. Do nothing from selfish ambition, which is exactly what I want to do. But do nothing from selfish ambition or from conceit, which is just thinking yourself you know, more highly than you ought. But in humility, in lowness, count other people more significant than yourselves. You matter more than me. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. If you're in Christ, this, this mind is yours and it is increasingly becoming more Yours, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Jesus condescends in love to put on flesh. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. The example of Christ is... Radical others centeredness. And so we respond to the generosity of Christ. We respond to that humble condescension of Christ where he gets low on behalf of other people to move toward our family in that gracious way. But we are not a holy huddle. This is a place of healing, this is a place of encouragement, this is a place of, of therapy but we are to go. We're like a forward operating base. We are to heal and then go. And so we're called into the mission of Christ. He leads us into a life of love, of joining us in his mission to make disciples. We are Matthew 28 people, great commission people. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. If you're in Christ, that's your mission. You're to go. In verse 33, it says that that um, great power was upon them as they were giving their testimony. And that word in Greek, it, it, it's the same word that we, we use in English for the word dynamite. The explosive power of the gospel of the risen Christ the life-changing power of your testimony, testifying that Jesus is the Christ, he has risen, this is how I've experienced him. And so when you share Jesus with your child, with your coworker, with your neighbor, with your teacher, when you share Jesus with them, know your words are not sufficient, but you align yourself with the great power of God. You align yourself with the Spirit of God who loves to exalt Christ. And so, if you walk away from a conversation, as I have many times, I think every time that I've shared Christ with somebody, I'm like, that was ridiculous. Like, what did I just say? Be reminded that with great power you give the testimony of Christ, that the power is in the gospel, not in your eloquence or your words. Great grace was upon them too, it says that. Great grace. It means mega grace. They were grace people. The early church was was showered with the favor of God and they knew it. They were saved by grace. They were united in grace and they were sent out in grace. And so friends, we have great power Don't think that, that like, you have great power if you are trained in apologetics. If you are in Christ, you have great power and it is called your testimony. It's the testimony of the risen Christ. And if you are in Christ, you lack no good thing. Great grace is upon you. You are covered with the favor of God, with the love of God. What more could you ever want? And so Francis Schaefer wrote a book and you just need the title, it says, How Then Should We Live? Given this great grace, how then should we live? What are the implications for that? Um, as we planted the church in 2011, as the, the video showed, I, I love that video, it shows what we're a part of, um, but we have, we have sought the Lord as elders, of like, what, God, what do you have for us? Practically, what should we be doing? We know the Matthew 28 thing, the, the mission. We know the mission. But we feel like the Lord has continually clarified that, that vision of like what TDC is to be about. And it's not unique. It's not different. It's not novel. We didn't come up with something, just so you know. But, but this is really what the early church was doing. And we want to conform to, to that and to the mission of God. And so I just want to show you this, this document. It's called the TDC Way. So faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. That's what I read this morning in my Bible in Romans 10. So when you hear the powerful testimony of the risen Christ, you respond by faith, you become a new person. And so as Christ followers, we are to be gospel-centered. We are not to be about uh, moral therapeutic deism of just making you better people, but we want to exalt Christ, come under him, and gladly worship him. So everything we want to do is gospel-centered. That's what we're doing this morning. It's it's what we're doing at all times, just so you know. So it's not like these are not exclusive columns. They are progressive, if it makes sense. We are saved into a one heart and soul community. That's what discipleship groups and men's and women's Bible studies and TDC kids and TDC students, are they gospel-centered? Of course, God help us if they're not. But this is where one heart and soul is, is, is manifest. It's really grown and cultivated. And then from that, we don't just stay, but we go. And so we host other people-focused events. That's what OPF means, other people-focused events. And we want to send you out into your communities. And we want to send out missionaries and church planners. And we want to plant more campuses. And so as we are saved, we are saved into a community. And that community then goes. Goes. So the mission of the Door Church is to see lives restored with the gospel for God's glory. To see lives restored with the gospel for God's glory. That's, that's not changed. And it's not going to change. That's what we exist for. Matthew 28, it's just a paraphrase. Our vision, and some of you know this, some of you don't, is a decade of development. So we sought the Lord, and and we just felt like the Lord was just pressing on us that for the next 10 years, we want to invest in equipping the saints for the work of the ministry. So if you think I am the one doing the ministry in this town, you have your theology backwards. I am to do the theology in this town, or I am to do the ministry in this town. You are to do the ministry in this town. You have access to people that I don't have access to, and I have access to people you don't have access to. So we want to equip you, men and women. We want to sharpen you and teach you and send you and supply you and send you out. And one specific conviction as we have prayed that that we felt like the Lord put on us is we want to send out 10 men in the next 10 years to be pastors, to plant a church or to plant a campus of TDC. And we see the Lord already moving in this way. We want to, to be a part of what he's doing. And so this is a multiplication strategy. So Titus 1.5, this is where we got this idea. Again, nothing that we're doing is new, hopefully. Hopefully everything that we're doing is just simply responding and and even imitating the early church. So Paul says, uh, this is why I left you in Crete so that you might put what remained into order to, to structure things, to appoint elders in every town as I directed you. So we want to be a network of congregations. We want to be a multiplying church. So the way this campus exists, we were growing, so we planted in Coppell, we moved literally just up the hill, up the road, to where now it's Louisville, it's like right on the border. That campus was growing outside of itself, it was exploding just before COVID. And so we had a decision to make. Do we grow big in one place, or do we do the uncomfortable thing and multiply out? And so We multiplied. And so I'm not trying to, to, we're not trying to to moralize a certain size church. Like big churches are bad and small churches are good because there's a lot of faithful big churches and unfaithful small churches. But we feel called to be a network of of medium-sized congregations, more of a parish model. And so I want you, if this is your church family, not to think us and them. Argyle campus and Louisville campus. It's just us. And so multiplication is uncomfortable, but we, we believe it's, it's what we're called to do. It's, multiplication is not a monument strategy. So no one campus grows big into a monument of itself, but we want to be aggressively about multiplication. We want to be one church expressed in multiple campuses. And so the reason that we do this, just so you know, is so that we can more deeply saturate North Texas. So a, a multiple campus model allows us to saturate communities, get to know those communities, be a part of those communities, and minister to them from the inside. And so we can more deeply saturate North Texas. Also, it it forces the, the issue of leadership development. So if you have one pulpit, you only have one person that can preach there, or one Class, there's only one person they can teach there, or one TDC Kids Ministry. There's only so. So we want to have multiple places for leaders to grow up and develop. And what I would say about leadership development is: is this? It's actually not proactive. It's reactive, at least in the church. So we react to what God is doing. We react to this powerful gospel that that we have been entrusted with and this great need. I mean, do you see all the rooftops around here? Do you see all the people in this community? You need Jesus and they need Jesus. And so we, we react to this great need, this Matthew 28 call to say, yes, Lord, we want to train up workers for your harvest. And also you are talented people. When I look at you, I'm amazed by the way God has gifted you. And so we react at the way that God has gifted the body. And so we want to see that and go, yes, go lead. And that looks different for everybody, but but we want to react to that. And then also multiple congregations allows for personal shepherding. Shepherding is incredibly difficult at any size. I want you to know that. And Hebrews 13 says that the elders and I, we will stand before God and give an account for the way that we pastor you. So it's difficult no matter what. It's really difficult when things get really big and things grow and grow and grow. And we may grow large in Argyle and loose. I don't know what. But our conviction, just our our strategy that we think God has called us to is that multiple mid-sized congregations. So that's some of what we feel God has called us to, some of the practical implications of what it looks like to be, to be sent, what this church and this generation um, is up to. And so in, in John 17, I don't have time to, to put it on the screen and to go through all of it with you, but, but I would really encourage you to go back and look at John 17. So this is a moment where Jesus prays for you What is more beautiful than that? Jesus is praying for you. You you come alongside and you're like, what does Jesus pray for? He prays that we would be one as he and the Father are one. That's what he says. I in them and you in me is what he says. Jesus prays that we would be one heart and soul, that we would be church, a city on a hill, a radically different community, a beautiful community saturated with Jesus and let out into his love into our communities. And so guess what? You're the answer to that prayer. The community of God. Those of us that are called to be one heart and soul, to be together. And so God's story is the story of redemption, of scattering gospel seeds about the work of Christ throughout all times and peoples. And we're a part of that as a church. And so my question to you, there's God's story, there's there's our story. What is your story? How is God calling you to respond to this beautiful and compelling mission? How is he calling you to respond with the great power that he gives you and the great grace that he lavishes upon you through Christ? And so we invite you to be a part of this. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, I feel... First, just a, just a weight of, of burden for those of you that are here and don't know you. Lord, I do not assume that people gathered here this morning follow you, Jesus. We are only the people of God when we are purchased by your precious blood, Jesus. Jesus. We are not the people of God, Lord, because we come to church or say religious things, but but those of us that have surrendered by faith were yours. And for those in this room that have not surrendered to you in faith, whether they are actively opposed to you or they've been cultural Christians and they're living for themselves, Lord, would they surrender to you? Would they fall at your feet, Jesus? Receive you by faith. Lord, we are thankful that you call us into a community, that we are not isolated people, but that we get to be a part of one heart and soul. I thank you for this beautiful church that I get to be a part of, that we get to be a part of. Lead us out into your love, Jesus. Lead us to care for one another, to minister to one another. And give us eyes to see the needs in this community that we can then go in and and be a part of addressing. May we never get deluded to thinking that we are only capable when we are personally strong. that we are only capable when we are trained or ready, but that it says that that we are, are workers in your harvest with great power because of the testimony of your gospel. May we not rest on our own strength, but on the strength of the proclamation of you, where we are divided because we are selfish, or because we have competing loves, which is to say, God, we know that those are just idols. Those are false gods. Correct us this morning. Tune our hearts, Holy Spirit. You know the way we're made. Tune our hearts to sing the praise of Jesus. And answer that prayer of, Lord, what would you do through me? Answer that, show us. We are but a small people and you are a big God and we are grateful that we can call you ours because of Christ. Now help us to sing your praises because you are worthy. In Christ's name, amen.